You're listening to Bridge the Gap Season 4, a podcast dedicated to inform, educate, and influence the future of housing and services for seniors. This podcast is powered by supporting partners, Propel Insurance, Inquire, LTC REIT, The Bridge Group Construction, and Salinity. Learn more at btgvoice.com. Welcome to Bridge the Gap Podcast, the Senior Living Podcast with Josh and Lucas. We got a great friend on the show today. We're going to be talking about MA, market conditions, some real estate transactions. You're going to want to lean into this. We want to welcome Dennis Murphy. He's the Vice President of Investments at Benchmark Senior Living. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Lucas. Absolutely. You know, Josh, you know, Dennis looks like a young guy, like he's just kind of getting his start. But for those of y'all don't know, Dennis, you've had a long career. You started your career kind of in seniors housing. You've been at Benchmark 12, 13 years, right? Correct. That's started in accounting and uh, then, then did some time on the FP&A side and then actually was an executive director in a building uh, kind of Metro Boston, just outside a 90 unit AL memory care. And then Spent the last three or four years uh, over on the investment side. Josh, when I retire and go into seniors housing, I can only hope and pray that the executive director is a guy like Dennis. (laughs) That would be a fun senior living community to live in. And anybody in the industry that knows Dennis and has spent time with Dennis, he's, he's a work hard, play hard guy. And uh, you know, I also have a great deal of respect because you've invested your entire career, your young career in this industry, and you actually really do care about great outcomes in these buildings and which impact the lives of older adults. I have a lot of respect for that. Dennis, where does that, uh, do you have a, this is something I've actually never asked you. Do you have a family connection or some personal story that, uh, I mean, you, you could have gone to wall street, you could have gone commercial real estate, um, what what has kind of kept you in senior housing? Um, so how I got involved uh, in senior housing was actually my neighbor uh, back in Brookfield, Connecticut, where I grew up. She was actually a uh, recruiter for Benchmark at the time. And I was looking for an internship out of school. She offered an opportunity. Um, could I say that uh, the, the accounting side that I entered the business was not exactly um, probably the most exciting thing to me. Uh, I think accounting is great, but it quickly became boring. So. Um, I think the, the best thing about Benchmark I can say is since I've joined, they've given me the flexibility to move around within the company um, and get exposure to the ops side of the house, the investment side, finance, uh, the accounting and partnering with res care, sales, um, to really execute on some of the strategies we've done. And so I've been lucky enough and fortunate enough to be at a company that that supports my growth. And, and I think that's that's rare. And you know, I'm certainly lucky to be here and lucky to be working at Benchmark. That's well, great. you know, Dennis, I think that's a testament just to um, the cool factor of our industry. We talk about this a lot of how many opportunities, a lot of people that don't know or understand, haven't worked, been exposed to senior housing and operations. We tell people all the time on the show and, and as we're having conversations with college students that basically anything you study at university or college, you can come in and find a career in senior living. So it's really cool that at Benchmark, you've had the opportunity to get a very um, wealthy and diverse background of experience and found your place kind of doing what you're doing today, which is, uh, you know, maybe our audience should hear a little bit like what is a day in the life of Dennis like right now in your current role? Well, I think that, um, you know, currently, 
a lot where I spend a lot of my time is really partnering with operations and sales. Uh, there's a lot of things on, on the back end numbers that I do to, to really drive and help and support those groups, whether it's creating sales contests to incentivize our sales teams, whether it's you know partnering with Res Care to ensure that all the measures we're putting in place from a um, staffing and uh, you know safety standpoint are actually coming through in the results. And so we do a lot of tracking of our data. There's uh, a good amount of data out there. We have a fantastic home-built business intelligence platform here at Benchmark that allows me to diagnose and analyze things in ways that other companies really don't have access to. So um, incredibly lucky that that I have access to some of those, those tools, but really it's the ability to partner with the operators, and the salespeople on the day-to-day, figure out what their issues are, whether it's scheduling or you know labor issues and how we can try and resolve them plans in place and then tracking that and giving them the tools so that they can make those decisions on the ground. Uh, that's that's where I spend a good chunk of our time. Right now we're in budgets. So that's that's one piece of the job, but we will continue to uh, move forward on what is our day-to-day operating strategy coming out of COVID and coming out strong. We've had fantastic success over Q2 and Q3, as have many other operators uh, kind of coming out of the second wave of COVID. So it's good to see the industry as a whole rebounding and uh, we're certainly been a, a big part of that. So very pleased so far. That's, well, that's, that's exciting to hear about the success. So let's let's sit down there for a minute and talk because we have a very diverse audience representing pretty much all sectors of senior living and even people outside of senior living that are curious what's happening in senior living in this transition. You know, the the card deck through COVID was basically tossed up in the air, shuffled. And things are really coming down and, you know, there's there's some winners and there's some losers and there's some people that are handling the change and the uh, very well and there's some that aren't. And we're here to kind of support everyone. And to that, I think it'd be cool to get your perspective on when you start seeing results not only with your large platform over a big section of the country, but as you're talking with peers, you're obviously on the Future Leaders Council. You've got big influence, get to talk to a lot of people. What are some of the trends and results that you're seeing? Specifically, let's talk first about maybe the, as you mentioned, that that operating side, maybe the sales and marketing side. What are some trends that you're seeing that are helping operators uh, get good results? What are they doing? I think a lot of the operators, you know, there was certainly some pent up demand coming out of COVID families who are maybe a little bit reluctant to put family members in because of fears of COVID. So the vaccination um, component of this that that is rolled out and been very successful has kept many residents safe. And I think that's that's brought back a comeback in occupancy. And you can see that across the board over Q2 and Q3. Most markets, if not all, experienced occupancy improvement. Certainly not back to kind of totally pre-COVID levels, but most of them are on kind of a year trajectory between now and then to kind of get back to what they were accustomed to from an occupancy perspective. Uh, during that time period, there wasn't a lot of new developments uh, underway. So I think you will see kind of a pause in, in, in construction, which will actually help the absorption of occupancy uh, in all markets. New England, which got hit fairly tough at the start of COVID, um, has bounced back very strong. The operators I speak to, including ourselves, have seen great moving pace, uh, better than pre-COVID levels. Uh, and it wasn't just for a month or two. So it wasn't just the pent-up demand coming out of Q2. This continued all the way through Q3. And many operators like us experienced phenomenal occupancy gains. And so 
I think that is a true testament to the resiliency of senior housing, the need for our products, and kind of where the future will, will, will ultimately lead to. So it's beneficial to all of us that the products are absorbed and, you know, these, even some of the few new builds out there that are having great success from the lease up, that's, that's great stories to hear, um, whether it's benchmark or otherwise. So we will continue to see occupancy improvement probably over the next year and it'll normalize at kind of the high 80s, low 90s that, that most of these stabilized operators are, are used to operating at. There's a handful of uh, properties through COVID that maybe experienced Worst occupancy dips or you know leadership turnover. I always say that the, the biggest way to fix the problem is it always starts with the people that you have in the building. So having the right leadership from the operator side all the way down to the executive directors and department head teams in frontline, um, making sure that everyone's kind of has a good culture. They come into work for the right reasons. You know they're they're all willing to go the extra mile to make sure that the residents and and their staff members alongside them are you know, all on the same page and working together. So I do think that, you know, uh, there were certainly people who got burnt out through COVID. And so some of that turnover that we had on the employee side will ultimately um, help us as we get new leaders in there who didn't really get burned out and uh, can, can operate through it. And we've seen great success in kind of the HR side of this coming up with leadership and training programs to support new uh, management, because I don't think there's enough talent in senior housing at the moment. We're having a little bit of a talent crisis. So figuring out who the next leaders are and giving them the training to do so. Um, some of these new operators or bigger operators are coming out with great training platforms. And that's that's great. That's great for everyone in the industry to, to kind of leverage that and utilize those to, to get the right leadership in a building. And then from there, the turnaround stories are, are usually pretty easy. Uh, it's, it's really getting that talent on, on board. And so being an attractive employer is very important right now. And I think that's kind of step number one in the recovery. So Dennis, um, a lot to unpack there. I want to, in just a moment, I, I got a couple of questions on labor, but back to marketing real quick. You guys are experiencing success. Um, if you look back over the last couple of years, it's hard to believe, you know, how radically different probably all of our lives were a couple of years ago. Um, but in that last couple of years, um, is there anything that you can point to that you guys or, you know, a group that you've seen out there is really doing a lot differently in the marketing and sales side than you did a couple of years ago that like it's radically changed. Is there anything that you can point to that's a lot different? I do think the customer is different. Um, you know, there was a lot of older product out there and having four mica countertops and things like that. Just, uh, the bricks and sticks of, of the buildings when new product hit the markets, um, it really made that old product look pretty tired. So there's uh, a lot of operators out there that are renovating their existing units so that they're up to kind of the newer standard granite countertops, uh, you know, white cabinets and, and, and new shower systems and things like that. Um, there's an enhanced focus on, you know, the data side of the house. And so having electronic health records and that platform is really important as well. But I do think that the expectation from uh, the resident family side of the house is you have to have a competing product. And so the older products that are out there, those have probably suffered a bit. So I think, you know, us and others are going through renovations right now to bring some of the older product up to the newer, newer standard. So um, that's the bricks and the sticks out of the house. Um, 
the, the most important, most valuable side of the house is the feeling people get when they enter a community. Having active, vibrant programming where people can see everyone engaged um, is incredibly important to prospects and family members. They, they, they want their family and loved one to feel like they're getting um, you know, a, a full, full life and they're, they're getting to live an active lifestyle. And so I think that there's probably an additional focus on making sure the entertainment, transportation, and, and, and all the other amenities that support senior housing are up to par and up to the standards um, that people would expect nowadays. Um, so I do think that that, along with having uh, a good good executive director and good salesperson, those can, those can fix and rebound uh, the occupancy fairly quickly. Uh, well, um, so... Moving on into and, and in the brief time we've got together, um, the labor side of things, um, you did mention the word crisis. Um, I'd say that's very true. Our, our industry is definitely and I think it, we're not alone. As you know, I'm out, obviously, as a consumer, it seems like everywhere I go, labor, no matter where you look in what industry, what vertical labor is very much a, a real challenge for any operator in any business. Our industry is is no different. But I'll tell you, I was just, Lucas, I don't even know if I told you this. I was perusing um, the internet the other day and saw several ads for different senior living job types. I saw one operator literally um, advertising for LPNs, a $10,000 signing bonus for a senior living community. And I saw $5,000 signing bonus for CNAs. And I'm sitting here thinking, Oh my gosh, I haven't seen anything like that. Maybe my head's been in the sand. Um, that seems very extreme to me, but obviously there's at least one large operator in the Southeast that's advertising that, which lets me know, you know, there's there's people out there having a major crisis. And I'm just sitting here thinking, is, is money the answer? Because I know prior to the last couple of years, we were not having to do that. And so um, what are your thoughts on this labor crisis and are there successful strategies you guys are starting to see in practice that is actually a, attracting talent? You know, I think labor as a whole, uh, if COVID did anything, it, it either pulled people out of their existing careers or pushed them into new careers. So I think there was a lot of movement of jobs through COVID. Um, certain people found that you know, flexibility and working from home was very important. And so they found themselves moving over to jobs that allowed that. Um, senior housing, going into this, I, I think that we probably were going to go through some of the, the growing pains that other industries are doing right now, whether uh, correcting for, for labor, if it was disconnected and, and over the years hadn't um, gotten the full attention it needed in certain markets. Um, I'm always a little bit weary to to the companies that have to throw such a large sign-on bonus or throw a lot of money at you because if it's that unbearable, why are, why is nobody taking that job? Uh, so I, do I think money is the ultimate way to buy out of this? No. I think there's a massive culture component to this. There's um, how do you establish a career and so show somebody there's a career path to help resolve some of this? Because I think employees now have their, their pick and where they want to work. So, you know, obviously pay has to be competitive. Um, and, and, and that's that's a must have. Uh, but from there on, the culture will ultimately dictate the ability of operators to successfully rehire and be uh, the chosen place to work. 
and, and be the, the place where if you are a CNA or if you're a nurse, you would choose to go there because the culture and the quality of everything else, along with the benefits and the career are really what makes uh, make makes you tick. If if it was just about the, the compensation component of it, all those jobs where you're saying that people are offered these large sign-up bonuses would get filled immediately because everyone would, would want to work there. It's truly not the case. And I think sometimes you have to step back and, and really look at the leadership and management building on whether that's partially some of the issue with some of the recruitment and retaining employees. Um, and it, it's not all compensation, but I think there's a lot of operators right now that are adjusting the compensation because um, they were kind of so far below market and this really opened their eyes. So coming out of COVID, there's been great occupancy gains, but you need staff to support those occupancy gains. So the operators are working diligently right now to come up with attractive programs for their staff members. Some of it's compensation, some of it's flexibility and work, some of it's um, really giving uh, unique creative benefits, whether it's transportation options, options to and from work, because maybe they can't afford the car and they rely on public transit or, or things like that, that we can kind of creatively come to solutions. Um, you know, you mentioned it was kind of a crisis. I don't view it as tr truly a crisis, as more of a, a, a really us and, and the operators all getting on the same page with a strategy to recruit and retain employees going forward. All of it is very solvable. Um, but, you know, th this next 12 months, 24 months, I think is going to really be telling for who did it right and, and who didn't, because it, it will ultimately limit your ability to grow occupancy if you can't have staff in the building to, you know, support, make the experience great for the residents. So I think that we're going to come at this from a handful of different angles as our other operators out there, and that there's a wage component of it. And then there's the benefits, the incentives, the flexibility and things that we can do to make this better. Um, some of it's just they want their schedule changed. And we just never thought about asking, you know, what 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 the schedule change needed to be to make your life a little bit better. I have to get home for the kids at three. Okay, let's build a schedule that can do that. Um, so I, I think there's just different ways to go about it, but operators have to really keep their ears open and listen to what the staff really want and try and provide solutions for them on that end. Well, so uh, I feel like here in just a minute. Lucas is going to like get the the shepherd stick and like be reeling me off for a commercial break or something with the music because I want to keep talking and we're going to run out of time. But final topic for me is I know Lucas deals with this a lot because he is the king of renovations in, in senior housing. Uh, but Dennis, you're dealing with investments uh, and you're seeing a lot of what everybody is seeing right now. And that's a lot. Mergers acquisitions every day I'm hearing of one big operator going to eight smaller operators or eight different operators or there's there's constantly right now a giant shuffle of the real estate and the operations going on in our industry and you mentioned over the next 12 months or so we're going to see we're going to begin to see like the good operators and the adaptive operators. And I think this is also going to be interesting to see unfold over the next 12 months is with all of these changes in operations and these changing of hands, that takes a little time to get some things going. So if you can look into your crystal ball here for with, with us for just a minute and give us your, your kind of forecast of what, what are some things that you think are going to happen in this giant shuffle that's going on over the next 12 months in the real estate world? I think that, you know, there's um, 
operators that performed well through COVID and operators who are performing well coming out of COVID. Um, those operators are ultimately going to get given opportunities for you know the equity partners and capital partners who have been upset with the operations of uh, really through, through COVID and coming out of from from an occupancy perspective. So to the extent that they're you know larger national national operator was not able to perform and you could divide that up into some regional super regional players who really know the market really well and, and possibly drive better uh, operational results, then I think capital partners are willing to take that shift, even if they know there's going to be a little bit of uh, rub in the transition period. And I think you saw less of that historically, but coming out of COVID, capital partners are trying to protect their investments. So they want the best people, you know, with the football on Sunday, throwing down the field. Um, and so at least from what I what I expect to happen, I think that's a continued trend that there's going to be uh, distressed deals or deals where they haven't been able to recover fully and other operators will be given a chance to kind of step in and, and make up for that, whether they're management deals or joint venture deals, um, that, that'll kind of be determined on an individual basis. But I do think that there's going to be an opportunity for these strong operators who've shown great performance coming out of COVID and it, it'll be it'll be great to see who rises to the top, but I think there's some early indications that there's a handful of operators out there, these ones signing these um, new management deals or new JV deals that they've shown they can perform. And that's uh, it's a testament to the industry, which is certainly on a recovery and rebound coming out of out of COVID. And I just think that that's a trend you'll see continue for the next 12, 24 months. And then eventually it should stabilize. Most of the buildings that were being a lower occupancy will rebound. And then there won't be a need for as many transfers of operators that you're seeing currently. Well, that's um, a great forecast uh, from you, Dennis. Thank you for sharing that. Lucas, you know, we talk about it. Great challenges create awesome opportunities. We are living through those kind of times with some great challenges. Uh, it's fun to watch guys like Dennis be successful uh, with their head down, you know, working and hear about those Um so another exciting episode for our listeners today, no doubt. Absolutely. Great uh, speaking with you, Dennis. And for our listeners uh, that are going to be around the Houston area the beginning of November, Bridge the Gap is having a meetup at the Rustic. And uh, Dennis may make an appearance there, but uh, we're going to be in Houston the whole first week of November. I know Dennis is going to be in town as well. Big event there. Um, if you want to meet Dennis, we'll put all of this in the show notes so that you can connect with Dennis and connect with BTG. Dennis, thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Josh and Lucas, for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck. I will see you at Nick. Yeah, we'll look forward to seeing you soon. And thanks to all of our listeners for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap. Thanks for listening to Bridge the Gap podcast with hosts Josh Crisp and Lucas McCurdy. If you were informed, educated, or influenced by this episode, we want to know. Leave a comment on social media or contact us in the show notes. Powered by supporting partners, Propel Insurance, Inquire, LTC REIT, The Bridge Group Construction, and Salinity. Learn more at btgvoice.com.